And now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Amber Lindemood. Such an inspiring young woman who I feel so proud of, and I simply have known her for mere months. For me, Amber epitomizes taking those bitter lemons life may toss your way, and she makes delightful lemonade. We, each of us, can only aspire to do something similar. But this is not to put Amber on a pedestal. She is quite grounded, and she is on a mission. So let's just get right to it and meet this inspiring young woman. Amber Lindemood, I can't tell you how exciting it is to have you back visiting with us once again. Thanks for having me. You are, I think I said this before, such an amazing young woman, and uh, you never cease to amaze because we're going to get into some of the exciting things that are happening in your life. And all of this revolves around the world of foster care and adoption, uh, a very critical, critical piece in all of our lives. I mean, each of us is directly impacted. So no one zone out because each of us is touched by this, right, Amber? That's correct. Childhood is known to be the stepping stone of life. And yours has been a very challenging childhood. And we're going to see where, you know, the challenges really uh, can lead to great things. But before we just jump into all the great things, just give us a little overview so everyone is on the same page about what your childhood was all about. Sure, yeah. And again, my name is Amber. So I entered foster care at the age of six due to severe allegations of abuse and neglect and food security issues, physical abuse, violence, domestic violence, starvation um, were all parts of what led me to entering care. And so I remember the summer of 2000 was probably the worst summers of my life. And so I remember we... Um, I heard a really loud knock on the door, and all of a sudden, the door just busted open, and it was two policemen, and they told me I had five minutes to pack up mine and my brother's belongings before leaving, before we were to leave our family, and so scared to death, I was like, okay, I'll just do what they say, and so we went into our room and gathered up our things, and I had a younger brother who was three at the time. Um, he was nonverbal and wasn't walking due to the neglect that was in our home, and so I packed up so his clothes, what was left of them, um, some of my clothes, and as the door of our apartment closed, we walked out with these police officers. That was the last time we ever saw our biological mother. So then after that, we got into a social worker's car, and at that point, it was like, I'm going to say it was like five or six in the evening, and we hadn't eaten that day or the day before, and so our social workers promised us that they would get us some dinner before going to our foster family, and... We was, as we're driving to this new home, we passed McDonald's. I was like, yay, food. And we drove by. And I just remember asking them, like, hey, why didn't we stop for food? And they told us that they lied to just get us into the car. Um, and so for me, it was just this confusing point of, like, why was I removed from family members who did the same thing to me? And these people who are supposed to keep me safe were not. And I wasn't sure what my future was going to hold at that moment. It's gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching to hear about this. And Amber, I, it, it's so hard, I know, to have to say all of this. And yet, I can't say how invaluable it is to hear you tell the story because 
it really is important for us to be aware of what goes on in homes to children. You know, we talk about food insecurity kind of in the community scale because of poverty. Here we need to really see what it does to a child. And then the continued trauma of, of you know, getting you out of the home, but it's it, you obviously weren't in a safe place even at that point. And so that brings us more into the future of um, talking about safe, that one of the things that you're doing, besides being a full-time student, is uh, you're a case manager at Sela Homes where you are providing safety for foster children. That's correct. So I'm the case manager at a nonprofit um, in Everett called Hand in Hand, and our mission is to provide for families and children in crisis. And so my role is the case manager over our licensed foster homes. And so I work with youth who are in foster care and their bio families and also their um, current caregivers, just representing them and advocating for them. And I would say not the least of your work this way is probably, do you find yourself kind of thinking back to being a child and that comes into play as to who you are as an adult working with these children? Yeah, for sure. I kind of think of it as a continuum. And so for me um, right now, I hope that my story is one of hope for these youth, but then also their stories and their experiences relate so much to mine that they are the fuel that continues to light my fire and passion for doing this work. Oh, it is an endless cycle, isn't it? In that, a good cycle that goes on that way. So as you say that, you therefore must be sharing your story as appropriate with these youth? That's correct. So I am really careful about when and who I share my story with just because it's so personal, but I do have... Um, a few kids or a few youth on my caseload who are older that would really benefit from it and who are in the same situation as me. And so we definitely talk about that. And how does that impact them? Have you gotten response, what it means to them to have your personal connection? Yeah, um, they really, really value it. And so I have several youth who are pretty quiet. And then when I talk to them about kind of like my own experience, um, they text me more often. They hug me and they ask that I be there when they're talking with their social worker. And so um, at first it was really uncomfortable for me to disclose anything just because it was so raw. But I really find that there's a need to be raw and vulnerable and get down into the dirt with these youth who are experiencing the same thing. And so they, so far, they've really appreciated it. Because certainly we know from hearing your story how how painful and really how devastating this can be is in a child's life uh, to be able to navigate through that to survive that I think that's it it's surviving that kind of situation uh, and, and to come out as I'm going to say a whole human being still continuing to grow um, is is no small feat and I'm just in awe of the young woman that you have become and that you are continuing to to just grow. And, and in that growth, you know, the things that you are doing, which we'll get into, but how you are impacting lives of other children, it's a special gift to them and not just that, to the world, really. You know that, right? Yeah, I do. Thank yeah. you, Kate. <laughs> 
So actually now, <laughs> because it's kind of bursting inside of me, uh, we'll jump to some of the new things that are going on. But I want to revisit hand in hand the organization as well. But you had a very special Valentine's gift this year. So, I right? did. Yes. I did. So um, this Valentine's Day was a little different for me. I found out about an amazing internship in Washington, D.C., where I'd be writing policy reform that reflected like best practices in child welfare. And I found out a week before applications were due for this amazing internship, and I decided to go for it. I went all in. I didn't even write to the prompt. The prompt was asking more about what would you change within foster care. And for me, I see it as a bigger issue, social issue than just foster care. I find it as like child welfare as a whole. So on Valentine's Day, I found out that I was one of 12 nationally selected students to go to Washington, D.C. to write a policy reform and then present it to the White House. Um, I literally can't even sit down half the time. I'm so excited. And even more than that, I'm just humbled and I'm really looking forward to bringing the stories of our youth to D.C., just representing them well. And this, too, is just such... um a major thing. I don't know if we really even comprehend how invaluable this is because youth, yourself, along with 11 others who have been in the foster care system are there to give your experiences to help to fashion this policy, right? That's correct. Yeah, we want to make the world a better place for everyone, but especially for the kids and youth in our state or excuse me, like in, in the U.S. as a whole. Yes. Uh, because, well, that makes me wonder, like, this will be national policy, but then states do fashion it kind of to what is needed there. Right? Yeah, that's correct. And I'm the only person from Washington State that will be in D.C. And do you have any awareness of where the others are from? Um, I don't at this moment, but I know that I'm the farthest northwest, obviously, Seattle. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So, uh, and just give us a little picture of what you already anticipate will be happening once uh, you go to D.C. Yeah. So while I'm in D.C., I'm going to be paired with a congressional person and I will be interning with them from the end of May till the end of July. And in addition to that, they're going to help me write this policy report. And so my policy report is going to uh, reflect prevention. And so for me, I find it I find it really hard and disheartening to see the number of youth entering foster care when other services weren't offered to them or their families before that. So why are we letting these youth endure this trauma that we all know is irreversible? Why aren't we doing something about it beforehand? And so my policy reform report that I'll be presenting will be on prevention practices and looking at what that means nationally, but specifically in Washington state. That is incredible. And obviously, because you wrote about this and you were selected means that there's a real interest in looking at this as a pathway. Yes. And that is, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm super excited for that to be, even be an opportunity. Yeah. Because working with others, uh, you, you, they'll be your congressional person, but no doubt others that you'll be able to connect with to help to really flesh this out and question it and wrangle with it and come up with best practices, so to speak, right? Yeah, yes. So congratulations. Again, that, that seems like such a small word to say in terms of this huge opportunity. But 
you know, what is so part of what is so great about this is, you know, we've heard what you went through as a child, the challenges there. and then going on to school, what we didn't mention yet is that you're in grad school. That's right. right. Yes. Yep. So grad school at the University of Washington. Yes. I am a first year master's in social work student at the University of Washington. And I found this out about a year ago. So I'm completing my first year there. And this is one of those times in my life when I found out I made it, I literally fell on the floor crying. And so for me, it just reminded me so much of my past and where I came from. And so kind of going back to that moment, actually, I, as a young kid, we would go on the bridge and I would see the University of Washington out my window and I would tell my biological family, like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a Husky. And actually, like, fun fact, I was born at the University of Washington Medical Center. So I say I bleed purple and gold. (laughs) Um, But I was like, I'm going to go there. And they always would tell me, no, don't get your hopes up. No one's going to want you. And so for me... When I got that acceptance letter, it was like I made it. And so for me, half of me wanted to like go back and be like, see, I can prove you wrong. And so for me, I realized that social justice is not about revenge. And so in that moment, I knew that I needed to pursue the University of Washington because of my social justice lens and that I need to help better the lives of others who are in the same spot that I was in. And here you are. It's You're almost at the end of your first year. In fact, uh, you're going to have to end that year a little early to head off to Washington, D.C. That's correct. Yes. So, so just so incredible. And, you know, that that's a very special piece of it, Amber, to say that um, you're about social justice, that revenge is really has no part to play. Uh, you're only human, so it surfaces and then you go, nah. Go away. Yeah. You know, take a go out that back door. We don't need you here. Because living your best life and doing, taking that, which was just like really sour grapes, uh, that's that doesn't even touch it, but just so much that was negative. And to turn it around and use it, really, because going to into social work, having this opportunity to work in D.C. for the summer, to be writing policy for future foster care and ultimately adoption, but for foster care, you know, there's no one I feel better suited than you with all of this experience that you're putting to such good use. Yeah, I'm it's humbling. And I would say the road never was easy. I think I'm getting to the point of it being easier. Um, But for so long, I didn't want to pursue social work or anything that was social justice related just because it hit home in my heart and it just hurt me. And so I started out, I wanted to be a dentist. I love teeth. It's like, oh, this is great. I want to clean people's teeth so they can have the confidence to smile. I just love that. Um, I uh, shadowed my pediatric dentist for a little while and that was not my thing. And then I I kind of always wanted to be a doctor. And so I love babies as well. And so I was like, okay, I'll be an obstetrician or or a midwife. And I attended my first birth and I passed out. (laughs) And I I realized that that wasn't for me. And so all while those doors were closing, doors within the social service world were opening. And so I took my first ever human services related class actually at community college. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, I can get to the point of forgiving my family, which I did. That was a huge part of me, like, growing as an individual, but growing enough confidence to pursue this work. So I took that introduction class at community college, and I was like, okay, I'm hooked. And then since then, I've pursued, like, human services or social work. (laughs) 
that is also an important part of your story that I think any of us can benefit from is just that the path is never straight, Mm -hmm. but you, you try different things and, and what your, your purpose, if you will, on this earth really is there. And you keep, you know, opening doors until all of a sudden it feels like, oh, I've arrived home. Yes. And even more, I hope to just pave the way for the youth that will come after me. And so I think for them, they don't see opportunities that are presented that, uh, to them. They don't see them as actually something that will will happen. And so for me, having these doors open right now is just even more significant because I'm working with youth who are kind of experiencing similar things. So I'm really excited for their future, even more than like presenting policy reform in D.C. I just want to know that them to know that they can do it and they can do it well and nothing is stopping them. Yes. That is so phenomenal. And so your work is with Hand in Hand, which is based in Everett. And this is a a nonprofit organization, which means it needs all of our help Mm -hmm. in many different ways. But here is a a rather unique, I think, approach is what started Hand in Hand. And uh, it's ideal, of course, that you're there. So do you want to give us a little bit of that history, Amber? Yeah. So Hand in Hand started in 2010. And I first met the executive director of Hand in Hand in our garage. Um, Kind of funny story. He was gathering our extra set of bunk beds. And I was like, what is this guy doing? And so I asked him, what are you going to use these bunk beds for? And he said, well, I have a dream to have a shelter for kids initially entering foster care because there's a huge gap for this population. I was like, eh, okay. Like, I've heard people talk about this before, but I don't think it's going to happen. But if it does, let me know because I really want to be there. And so it happened that in 2010, Hand in Hand launched our first ever safe place shelter in which we care for youth initially entering foster care. And so right at that time, I turned 18 and I actually was able to start volunteering with them. And I haven't left since. Um, Right now, I am their case manager over their licensed foster homes. And so I look after youth who have went through our shelter that are now placed into one of our foster homes, um, just do life with them in general. And I couldn't be more excited for this opportunity. And I never plan on leaving the organization. (laughs) And I'm sure they probably feel the same way, like, Amber, don't you dare ever leave us. the entity within Hand in Hand called Safe Place. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of information about that. Yeah, so Safe Place is our emergency shelter, and we can care for kids um, for up to 72 hours. And so most of the kids that we get were just removed from their homes from law enforcement due to drug raids, physical violence, sexual violence, um, other things like that. So they come to us hungry, scared, not sure what's going to happen to them. And so we don't only provide for their basic needs such as like food shelter clothing we take them to the doctor we have volunteers who get to love on them and um, just show them that they're worth it and we operate almost 24 7 365 days a year and we are in need of volunteers and so if any part of my story really resonated with you or you're interested in foster care or working with at-risk youth we would love to have you at our organization So how do people find out or how do they go about getting involved then? Yeah, so you're welcome to check out our website. It's handinhandkids.org. 
And I'd also love it if you wanted to email me um, if you had any questions for me or if you were interested in maybe like attending a volunteer information meeting. My email is amber at handinhandkids.org. And so these informational meetings, do they happen on a regular basis? Yes, they happen monthly on a Tuesday evening. Okay. And so just to have a sense of whether we would fit in, I would fit in, what would be a, re- a prerequisite for this? Yeah, so there you will be, if you decided to volunteer with us, there would be a lot of trainings that you would need to take just to make sure that you um, are understanding of what, it, what it's like for youth who have experienced trauma. Um, but anyone who's passionate and has a heart for kids and a heart for kids in a rough spot, and especially someone who's very hopeful, um, I think a lot of the kids that we have don't think they can do anything, and so we need them to have a sense of hope. So if any of those ring true to you, like we would absolutely love to have you. And with a Safe Place, it seems to me that this might be, you need to be qualified, but this would be not jumping into the, kind of the deep end of the pool. You could do the short-term foster care and, and kind of just get more comfortable, if you will. That's an odd word, but... Just get into it? Yeah, just kind of get assimilated into the culture and kind of understand what it looks like. Yeah, so we have opportunities to volunteer within our shelter where kids just stay um, temporarily. And then we have, if you're interested in becoming a foster parent, we also have like our licensed foster homes to do that. And so Safe Place and our Sala Homes program, uh, we call it our receiving care end. That's just one portion of what we do. That's more of the intervention once youth have entered care, but we also have a big prevention piece under hand in hand as a whole. And so that more looks like um, building relationships within our community. And one of the ways we do that is by hosting homework clubs um, within our facility and at schools. We also do community dinners. Um, we just really want to know the people around us well. And we, want, we want them to know that they're well supported and just build a sense of community and unity. And then another way we do that is through our soccer program. And so we, um, started soccer, I think, in like 2015. And before that, um, or other organizations had tried basketball, but basketball wasn't the common sport within our community. It was soccer. And so within soccer, we're not just teaching kids a skill. We're allowing them to build leadership skills and we're allowing them to be a part of a bigger family. Because even in our community, a lot of the youth have not entered foster care, but they're right at risk of entering foster care. And so we want to work on family preservation and building before these kids experience more trauma. And so under Hand in Hand, we have two pieces. And actually, as you were describing that, Amber, I I get the sense of the, that prevention piece as part of that, isn't it? Yes, that that's you're correct. talking about. Yep. And so I'm actually, for my uh, internship in D.C., I'm really focusing on what we at Hand in Hand do with prevention and kind of building on that and presenting that on a larger scale in D.C. because it's worked so well. I am just so in awe of this. And I think back then, because um, I think I have a, a little sense of the origins. Well, you were saying how um, the founder was collecting the bunk beds from yeah. your garage, right? And so, uh, you know, seeing this then grow and your being part of that vision really growing by going to D.C., I mean, uh, they have to be really excited for you. Oh, yeah, they're excited. They'll miss me for sure, but they're, they're very excited. <laughs> of course they'll miss you. I mean, <laughs> you're this amazing young woman with boundless energy and passion 
uh, and a big heart. That's not the least of it. The big heart is such a big part of it, of of all that you're doing and contributing. I mean, just, um, you know, the, so I'm going to kind of go on this tangent, thinking about how if your young life was not captured and you were in a good foster family, think of what the world would be losing by what you are doing now. I, You know, we don't want to be negative, but we're thinking about what if it went the other way? It didn't. Thank goodness. But that's because good foster care, you had a good foster family. That's correct. Right? Yeah. And I yeah. consider them my forever family, and they, they always will be. And I think for me in that, um, I'm just incredibly like blessed and humbled that I feel like I was chosen to be a part of a family, and I chose them as well. But um, in reality, there's so many youth who are just like me who don't have a home. And so that's kind of how we started Hand in Hand is because we want every child to be a part of a loving family and feel loved. Um, And I think for me, like within me having a family also comes the deep sadness of knowing that there are other kids who don't have a family. And so that's that's why I pursue this work, really, to represent them. Yes. And you're doing an internship Along those lines as well, working full time, going well, working part time, maybe right part time, going to school full time is what it is. And then doing an internship on top of it. Yeah. So this year I've had the honor to do an internship with Treehouse in Seattle, where we where I'm working with foster youth in schools and education settings. And um, for me, I can't get enough of the work. I just love the youth so much. And I think that education is something that's kind of scary when you're in foster care because you're switching schools. If you get bad grades, you don't know what it's going to be if you don't graduate and you know that you're going to be just a number. And I think that what Treehouse and what Hand in Hand does really well is just not see kids as a statistic. They see youth as actual people and work hard to make their names or work hard to make their faces seen. Right. So you're obviously pouring your whole self into this work. And again, the world is benefiting. You know, we'll look at our local community, but we see the larger picture happening as well. And so uh, perhaps it's just a quick thing, but it's an important thing. In working with youth who are in high school, junior and senior high, uh, there's a piece about that, about being having scholarships available for them. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, that's correct. And so for youth who are in foster care, there's um, specific ages you have to be to be eligible for aid. And some of that is 13 and some of that is 16. And so for me, um, I was in foster care until I was 18, but I was in a guardianship. And so that looked a little different than normal foster care, but it meant that I didn't have as much support from a social worker. And so I really had to navigate, navigate the waters of higher education by myself. Um, and that was scary. And so Treehouse does a really good job of um, letting the youth know about those opportunities, but then also connecting the youth with the school they want to go to, um, which is huge and crucial to their future. Yes. And so you didn't have a Treehouse, but you had your, is it guardianship mm-hmm, is what you correct. had? Yeah. And so that helped to give you that kind of safety net or some foundation to be able to move forward. Yes, for sure. And yeah, just having the support of a family 
really, really helped me get to where I am now. And so actually currently I have a youth on my caseload who um, is thinking of attending college. And this youth social worker isn't really aware of all the opportunities out there. And I was able to sit down and let the youth know about opportunities that would be available to them. And that for me is crucial just to use kind of what was used for me and what I've learned and then pour it into someone else's life. And so this person is absolutely ecstatic to be attending higher education. Oh, just so much amazing good things that are going on. And seeing how you're making such an incredible contribution to the world, Amber. And this doesn't happen like in this vacuum. Having the support systems in in place is important. Supporting those systems. So maybe not all of us can be in helping foster care personally, one-on-one, but we can do it financially, right? That's correct. Aren't donations important? Yes, they are. Yes. Um, So I'd just love to reiterate some of the opportunities if you're interested in Hand in Hand. Um, We would love to have you as a volunteer. We would love your financial support. And you can check us out at www.handinhandkids.org. And if you'd like to speak specifically with me, you're more than welcome to shoot me an email. My email is amber at handinhandkids.org. Amber, I am just... uh, feeling so blessed, so gifted that you have spent time with us this morning because you are such a gift. And I only wish you well as you continue forward, but you've demonstrated that's what you do. And I hope that you'll come back and fill us in on your experience in Washington, D.C. in the fall. Totally. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. My pleasure. And with that, we are at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Amber Lindemood and Sunday Morning Magazine with Thomas Reynolds from Northwest Harvest. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of feeling the Easter in your life. Find the fresh breath of new beginnings. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning and happy Easter.